0: Well, good morning. It's an exciting day here for the life of Bethany West Seattle as we move into our new home today for the very first time. Are you guys excited to be here? (laughs) Awesome. Yes. Uh, And I just want to say there's been so much work that's been happening to make this happen. And so I am so thankful uh, not only for our staff that's just been tirelessly working on things I'm uh, Making sure that this is an environment that you can meet with Jesus and a place where your kids can also be loved and, and know more about Jesus as well. Uh, and not just our staff, but our leadership team. For hours they've been here working on this building and making sure, again, that this is a place that we can worship God together. So many volunteers over the last few weeks coming together for this cause of expanding God's kingdom here in this West Seattle neighborhood. And I'm so thankful and I'm so excited for what God has planned for us as a community in this new neighborhood. Uh, And so today we continue this series uh, called I Am Enough. And it's this idea that each week, for seven weeks, that we talk about these statements that Jesus says. He says, I am. And then he describes a little bit more about himself, reveals a little bit about himself to his followers, to his hearers, and to his audience I am the bread of life. I am the way. I am the good shepherd. And this morning we're talking about I am the door. He says, I am the door. And for you note takers, what does that mean? And so today we're going to be talking about three things. That as Jesus compares himself to the door, it describes three things. That the door, number one, is wide. That the door is wide wide. The door is big. It's wide open. The door, secondly, provides safety. And third, uh, the door opens and the door closes. Pretty mind-blowing, isn't it? I love how smart Jesus is. And so, again, uh, I want to say one more thing that as we were prepping this sermon, all the teaching pastors for Bethany we realize one thing is that this message ends up being kind of a a family meeting kind of message. And I think it's so timely as we meet as a community in our new place, as we discover again what Jesus is calling us to in this new season as a family. And so, this is going to be kind of a family meeting kind of message. Now, if this is your first day here with Bethany, or you've been away for a while and you're back, I just want to say you've still chosen a perfect day to be here because we want to share with you what Bethany West Seattle might be about. And maybe that you might have an opportunity to plug in and to join God and what God is doing here in our community. So, let me pray and we'll get started. God, thank you so much that you have brought us to a, an incredible place that we can worship you, we can meet with you, we can hear from you, uh, and, and know that today on this Sunday is not just a normal Sunday, but it's a Sunday that you wish for hope and, and healing and forgiveness and joy and peace to be uh, over all of us and our families and our children. And we thank you for that opportunity. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. As I start, I want to make a little bit of a confession. And the confession is this. Growing up, I was obsessed with video games. And I know some of you guys don't want to admit it, but some of you guys were as well, men and women, obsessed with video games too, just like I was. And I had this really unhealthy obsession. And not only was this obsession, but I was overly and strangely competitive, especially when it came to my favorite games. And one night, my friends, who I also shared uh, this passion for, uh, we decided to have a sleepover. Mind you, I was younger, we were having a sleepover, and we were having a Nintendo 64 Mario Kart tournament night. And I know some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so I remember during that time, this game was brand new. I'm kind of dating myself. uh, But this game was brand new. uh, And so I took it over. I took my whole Nintendo 64 over. And I remember uh, thinking how excited I was to have this tournament. And and I wish I can justify this and say, oh, this is back in elementary school, in middle school. Uh, But this was in high school. uh, And I brought it over. And we were playing, you know, for hours and hours. And it got pretty late, uh, and a friend of mine and I, we got into a little bit of an argument, because what I considered him doing was cheating, and he considers himself, what he was doing, strategizing, and and I'll never forget it, and I still do this today when when I play, Uh, this level is called Koopa Troopa Beach, uh, and I know I'll never forget it, and there's this cheat, I'll call it a cheat where you're going, you're going, and you hit the button a certain way, and you can kind of cut through the track so you can get way ahead of the other people. I see you guys nodding. Yes, yes. And and I remember he kept on doing that, and I was getting upset. I'm saying, that is cheating. You can't do that. He said, no, that's strategizing. And the reason why I was so mad is because I couldn't do it. I didn't know how to click the buttons. And, And so it got kind of late, and I decided it was time for me to go home and since it was my Nintendo and my game, I unplug it naturally, and I said, you know what, I'm going home. I pulled one of those, it's my ball, and I'm going home. And so I take the console, and it's getting pretty late. I, you know, I'm in high school. I walked down a few blocks to, back to my home, uh, and to realize that my parents were out. They had thought that I was gonna be sleeping over for the night, and, and they were out. And I didn't have my key on me. And, and, and so I thought to myself, well, well what do I do? I, I can't possibly go back. I mean, I have my reputation to uphold. I threw a big old scene. I couldn't go crawling back to my friend's house. And, and so there was a little window, a basement window for my bathroom at the time. And, and I remember thinking, well, I can jimmy it open, and I know how to open it, and, and I'm going to break in to my own house. And I remember the window was really I was going in, I was, you know, I went feet first because I had my precious Nintendo with me uh, that I had to protect. And I was going in and I kept getting stuck and I couldn't fit. I came back out thinking about uh, my method of going inside. The door was open or, or the window open and I kept going in, but I wouldn't fit. And so I kept trying uh, and thinking back in hindsight, uh, it was late at night. It probably looked a little suspicious. Hear somebody climbing in through a window with a Nintendo game console with him in his hands. And, and minutes and minutes have passed, and, and finally I hear sirens. And, and, and the police officer came, shined his light on me, and, and he says, "So, what are you doing? And, and mind you, I was like a freshman in high school. And, and apparently, like good neighbors that I've had, they call the police. Because they thought someone was breaking in or stealing stuff and breaking back out. And I had to explain to the officer, no, I live here. I just locked myself out. And then eventually I my parents and things worked out. But here's the deal. My neighbors understood that the way to get into the house is not through a window. Uh, I think we all can agree with that, right? The way into the house. Typically, there's only one way, and that is through the front door. And my neighbor understood that what I was doing, I was, well, what they thought I was doing was breaking in. Uh, I was going into the house the wrong way because the one way into the house is through the front door. Now, here in this text this morning that Carrie just read, Jesus continues with these I am statements to reveal a little bit more about himself to his hearers. And he puts it into the simplest forms. Because in verse 1 through 5, he, he kind of gives this grand explanation of who he is. And then in verse, in verse 6, it says, Jesus uses his figure of speech with them, but they did not understand What he was saying. And so in verse 7, he says, So again, Jesus said, Verily, truly, I will tell you, I am the gate for my sheep. I am the door. Let me let me put it in a way that you would understand. And as simple as this: who I am for you, I am like a door, right? You know what a door does, it opens up a place for you to enter. That's simple. That is me. And, And then in verse 10 it says. It talks about the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life. And not just life, not just breathing, not just walking, not just existing, but this life above life, life on life, life to to its abundance. And again, we talk about this two different Greek words of life. There's bios, which we get the word biology, that we just live. And Jesus is saying, I have come not to give you a bios kind of life, but, but the other life. There's two words. The second word is zoe, a life that can only come from the creator to, uh, to the creation. And, and Jesus in, te- in, in 10.10 says, I have come to give you that kind of life. I want you to experience abundant life the way that God had intended you to live of peace, of hope, of joy, of harmony, of forgiveness, of healing, love, and reconciliation. I want that kind of life for you. And some of you in this room, we're looking for exactly that. We're desperate for that. And Jesus says, the only way to that life is through me. I am the door. And whoever enters by me will be Saved. Now, I, I get really squirmy when it comes to this word like saved. Like, are you saved? A- am I saved? Because traditionally, when we think about this word saved, uh, we think about this place that you go after you die, right? You know, that's what essentially at the bottom line of this question, are you saved or am I saved? Is really the question of, well, what's going to happen to me after this life? And and, and what I want to say is that when we narrow down this word saved into this, this destination of where we go after we die, we have only gotten a glimpse of what Jesus was talking about. It was only a small part of what Jesus meant when he uses the word saved and salvation. It was something, salvation or being saved, was something to be experienced not only after you die, but right now. Right here, right at this moment, in and, and this Greek word, the original word save that's all over, especially the New Testament, is this Greek word, uh, Koine Greek, the original language called sozo. And the reason why this is important is because we want to kind of uh, look deeper than just this word save that's been a little bit hijacked and look at this original word in its original context. And it actually means Uh, Sozo means to be rescued, to be saved from harm. And and this word sozo was used in Scripture uh, when people were actually physically in danger, like when their life was on the line, when there was a shipwreck, when when they thought they were going to sink, when people thought they were going to die, when they were under attack, they would say, Jesus, save us. Sozo, and Jesus says, I'm here to rescue you from your harm and the danger that you might be experiencing. And and not only that, this word sozo is this continuous word, not just are you saved. And and so a better question would be, not just are you saved, but are you being saved? And, And so when people ask me, Prentice, when did you get saved? Uh, I would say, uh, well, as a matter of fact, I believe that I'm being saved every morning that I wake up. Every day, I'm continuously being saved, rescued. Some of us here need that rescuing from danger, from harm, from addiction, from anger, Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's pain. Maybe it's loss. Maybe it's grief. Maybe it's hopelessness. And I'm here to tell you that the text says the way to be rescued from that is through the door which Jesus claims to be. In chapter 14, it says Jesus said to him, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except Through me. And and to be really honest, as I was navigating this sermon, and I was thinking about what to say and what to prep, uh, I I was kind of squirming again a a little bit when it comes to this idea of this door that Jesus being the only way, because it sounds so exclusive, doesn't it? it? It sounds so narrow and so closed off. But the more and more I read it and prayed over it and really uh, studied it, uh, I realized there's two things that we really need to hold tightly together. And, and, and number one is this number one is, yes, without apology, without regret, I tell you that the gospel, the good news of Jesus being the door, the only way to the kingdom, it is exclusive. There's really no way around that. The text says, I am the door, the the definite article. I am the vine. I am the life. I am the way. And abundant life now, abundant life after we die, is a life that is possible only through the life and death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we have to hold that very tightly in one hand. Yet, there's a second thing that we must hold together. And the second is this that in this exclusiveness, God desires inclusiveness. Which brings us to really our first point is that this door that Jesus claims to be is wide, is big. And the invitation is for everybody to experience the pathway to abundant life through the door. See, I grew up in a very conservative, traditional, rigid church where the constant message growing up for me was, if you're not careful, if you don't do all the right things, if you don't say all the right things, If you don't read your Bible enough, if your church attendance is less than perfect, then you could be in danger uh, of going to hell, that you might not be saved. So you better shape up, right? You better be better, you better do better, you better act better and nicer and kinder and this and that, uh, because otherwise your faith might be in jeopardy. That's the kind of traditional church that I grew up on. And and that ultimately, that what I did, what I do, would never be enough. And and I feel like even today, I experience other people's trauma, especially as a pastor. I experience other people's trauma uh, because they share that very similar experience that I did. Uh, Like, I went to the movies the other day, and I saw people from my church uh, and, and instantly well, someone from the church that I haven't seen for a long time. And instantly I get, you know, even before a hello, I say, the, the person says, oh man, I haven't been to church in a few weeks, but I, I'm, I, I need to make it out, man. I, you know, I was so busy with this and that. I'm like, whoa, like, that's okay. I just want to say hi. And I just want to watch this movie. Oh, or, you know, we, we go into, uh, you know, I go to an airplane or I'm on my flight and, and this, you know, quintessential, so what do you do with the person next to you? And I typically get two responses. I tell them I'm a pastor and, and A, they just will stop talking to me, uh, which is good because it's kind of intentional so I can fall asleep. Uh, or, or two, the, the flight ends up being a unsolicited confessional time. Where they say, oh, you're a pastor, oh, man, I'm trying to be a better person, and I know the other day I messed up, and I'm trying to swear less, and I'm trying to drink, I'm not trying to quit drinking, don't get me wrong, I'm trying to drink less, and, and this, and that, and I'm saying, whoa, that's okay. And, and, and uh, all that to say is that so much of our experience at church uh, has been hearing this message that you better shape up if you want to be saved. Because it's difficult, and the, and the door is narrow, the, the door is tight, and the door is small. And, and what I'm here to say is that oftentimes, although we operate in a place of fear, God's love transcends that. And, and I always say this, that fear and love cannot coexist. And oftentimes, we live in a place of fear. But the gospel of Jesus, the very fact that Jesus says, I am the way, is actually good news. And we call the gospel the good news because in Latin, it literally means the good news. The good news is according to Matthew, the good news according to Mark, Luke, and John. And I want to say this, and I want to say this uh, very loudly and clearly That when Jesus says, I am the way, I am the door to salvation, to eternal life, to a life in abundance, it's not a threat. We hear that as a threat. Oh my gosh, I better shape up. It is not a threat, it's an invitation. The gospel of Jesus is always good news for everybody, and it's never a threat, it's always an invitation. Because see, the point is this. The point is that Jesus offers us something, all of us something, that nothing or nobody can ever provide for us, though we search and search and search. See, many of us, we open doors looking for contentment, to joy, to satisfaction, to hope, and to healing. We look for those doors and oftentimes, we reach for the wrong door. Maybe it's the door that we reach for is upward mobility. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's uh, relationships. Healthy or unhealthy. Maybe it's material possessions. Maybe it's a promotion. Whatever it is, oftentimes we open these doors thinking this, aha, this is going to bring me that joy that I've been looking for, that hope that I've been longing for. Maybe it's a certain way you look. Maybe it's a certain attire. Whatever it is, we open these doors and doors and doors, and we end up being severely disappointed because we were created in a way that the only door that can bring us that hope is through the person of Jesus. It reminds me of Jesus uh, meeting the woman at the well in John chapter four. He says, I can provide the water that will make you never thirst again. Everything else will make you thirsty again. You can drink all you want. You can partake all you want, but it'll make you thirsty. But I have come to give you water to quench that longing where you will never thirst again. There was this man in the uh, 17th century, uh, Blaise Pascal, he's a philosopher, theologian, and, and I love this quote. He says this. He says, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in a man, or humanity I would say, a true happiness of which <clears throat> All that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, though none can help, since, his, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with the infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. And people have summarized what this passage really says. He says, basically in these words, that these words have been summed up like this. We all have a God-shaped hole in our souls that only God can complete. That only God can complete. And again, maybe you've tried every single door except the door. The definite article, the door that Jesus claims to be. And maybe today you're sitting here and you said, every single door I've tried has not worked. It's failed. It's led to more heartache. It's led to unhealthier relationships. It's led to uh, depression or anxiety or whatever it is. And, And today, may today be the day that you say, I'm going to try something different. I'm going to try something different. Jesus claims and promises that he is the way to life and life abundance. Or, or maybe you're sitting here and, and you've fallen back or you're lost track or, or you're sitting here and you, do, you need to really do some heavy reevaluating in your relationship with God. May this be the day that you do just that, Reevaluate What's been your door? What's been your entry point in your pursuit of salvation, of rest, being rescued, of hope? One of my favorite authors and theologian writers is a Catholic priest named Richard Rohrer. And Richard Rohrer says this, most of us were taught that God will love us if and when we can change. In fact, though, God loves us so that we can change. What empowers change, what makes, our, what makes you and myself desirous of change is the experience of love. It is that inherent experience of love that becomes the agent of change. See, some of us here... We, believe, we, want, we want to pursue God. We want to go through that door. But we believe that we just aren't good enough. You know, I've worked in even youth ministry and college ministry long enough where I would meet with students. And they would say, Prince, you don't understand what I've done. Prince, you don't understand the life that I live. You don't understand the people that I've heard. You don't understand the decisions that I've made. And, and I would say, that's a lie to be held back by your decisions, to be defined by the circumstances and the mistakes that you've been making or have made is not what defines you. It's the promise of Jesus and his love for you that is transformative. And it's available to everybody, everybody, because the door is wide. Secondly, the, the door provides safety. In chapter 10, verse 7, it says, I am the door of the sheep. I am the, now, now, there's some unpacking to do here with the door of the sheep, uh, uh, this door to the pen. There's two types of sheep pens during this time in ancient Palestine. And, and one was there was a pen where, where all the sheep would go, and there would be a gatekeeper, which we talked about in the first half of this passage. And the gatekeeper would kind of babysit the sheep, make sure the sheep is alive, it's doing well, it's being fed. And then there was a second type of pen that was out in uh, the mountains. And, and what would happen is that every shepherd with the sheep would bring uh, the, the sheep, his flock, into that pen during the, during the nights. During the day, they would graze, they would eat, they would, they would experience the land. But at night, when danger would come, the shepherd would want to protect the sheep. And so the second pen, the, he would, the, the shepherd would push the flock into the pen. Now, this pen didn't have a door. It was more like this open space. And, and in this open space, acted like a door or like a gate. And at night, what the shepherd would do is the shepherd would lie down at that space. And literally the shepherd would become the door to that pen. He says, "I am the door of the sheep, of that sheep pen." And the main job of the shepherd, when the shepherd was laid down is to protect is to be the door to protect the sheep. And so no outside thieves and robbers would come into the pen and steal the sheep for the wool, for the meat. And no predators like wolves would come into the pen to kill the sheep. And, and the shepherd was there lying down as a door, not only so predators and prey can't get in, but so the sheep can come out. Because I know many of us have heard this before, but the sheep, sheep are not the, the brightest tools in the shed, They're not very smart. They don't know when they're in danger. They don't know when their life is on the line. And so when they see an opening, they would just run out. And these are pack animals. And so when one sheep would go out, then all the sheep would go out. And they would be susceptible and vulnerable to the prey out in the mountains. And not only that, they can jump off a cliff. They wouldn't even know this. But one sheep would potentially, uh, not knowing any better, just run, just run until they would jump off a cliff. And again, they're pack animals. All the animals would follow and jump off a cliff. That's the way that the sheep thought and lived. And so the job of the shepherd was to protect by creating a door that was shut. And what that meant was inside the pen, the sheep were kept safe from the outside dangers and even from the dangers within. Themselves, And to me, this is a question about our community, our church. Is this pen, is this community a safe place for people? See, our church, uh, my desire for our church, your church, our church, is at Bethany West Seattle, would be a place that is known for its love. And it'd be a place that we can safely ask questions, that we can safely have doubts, that we can safely wrestle and to agree and to disagree with one another in our journey, in our faith. And so that's why we have an incredible families ministry uh, because we want to offer kids also, that safe place to learn with one another, with adults that, that want to teach them about Jesus. That's why we have things like coffee team and welcome team and greeting team and AV and music. Because all these volunteers want to help our church become a place, a safe place, where we can meet with Jesus and explore our faith together. Is our church a safe place. Are you part of making this place for Christ a safe place for others, not just for ourselves internally, but even those that are outside of our church today? I want us to be a church that is known for our love. We may not be the flashiest. We may not be the trendiest. We may not have the most hipstery pastor. We may not have uh, this or that or the latest gadgets or technology. But at the end of the day, I want our community to be known by our love. Our love for our neighbors. Our love for people we don't know. Our love for the poor. Our love for the refugees, our love for the disenfranchised, our love for the marginalized, the oppressed. That is the kind of church I long for us to be. The funny thing here, or the ironic thing here, is that when Jesus was speaking about thieves and robbers, it was a metaphor for the religious people. It wasn't for the for the prostitutes, it wasn't for the the evil people, it wasn't for anybody else. It was for the religious leaders of the day. And, And I would argue that not much has changed. And the sad part is, it's oftentimes the religious people that become the barrier, that rob people from the safety of community. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's being judgmental. Maybe it's being so clicky. Maybe it's greed. Whatever it is, for some reason, it ends up being the religious people that actually make this place, the community, the pen, an unsafe place. Because if Jesus is the gate and the only gate, the only door, you know what that means? That means we are also not the door. And oftentimes, we put ourselves, us religious people, myself included, we like to become the door. We get to draw the line in the sand. In, nope, out, you're good. In, out, yes, no. And Jesus saying, no, stop, stop. That's my job. And oftentimes, we ask these questions, well, how about that person? Person. Is this person going to go to heaven? Person, whatever it is. And, and Jesus saying, stop, that is not the question for you to answer. Your job is to love. My job is to give. And, and sometimes we we're like, okay, Jesus, we know that you are the door. But we like to weasel away our, ourselves in. Well, well, can I be the doorknob? Can I be the hinge? Can I be part of that decision? And Jesus saying, No. Our job is to simply love, love, and love. That is what creates a safe place for people, for everybody in our community. And the third and the final point is this. The door is to go in and out. It says that in chapter 10, verse 3 through 5. It says, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of a stranger. See, during this time, oftentimes in a sheep pen, there were several flocks of this shepherd, of that shepherd, of this shepherd. They would all the same pen. But now when the shepherd would show up, The shepherd, it says that the shepherd knows each of his sheep by name and says, okay, I don't know what the sheep's name were. Timmy, Billy, Bob, let's go. And the sheep that belonged to the shepherd would recognize his voice and run out with the shepherd as the shepherd leads the way. But the other sheep that didn't belong to that shepherd didn't recognize the voice and would stay I mean, it's crazy. I mean, if you've ever had a dog or maybe some other animals, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That your dog knows your voice from anywhere. You say the dog's name and the dog will run to you, right? And and this was the same concept. The shepherd would have this voice and the sheep would know exactly who to listen to, who the right person to follow, who to obey, who the true voice was. And Jesus is saying that out of this gape, I am the shepherd, I am the one that you should listen to when we go out of the sheep pen into the real world. Now, Jesus calls all of us into this world, and oftentimes, this world isn't very nice. Oftentimes, this world isn't very safe. I mean, I'm going down... grocery store aisle where there's magazines and everything is shouting out me and you and the rest of society, here's the way you should look, here's the way you should dress, you should lose this much amount of weight, you should gain this much amount of muscle, you must do this, you must do that, you must have this possession. The world is feeding us so much information of who you should be and yet Jesus says, listen to my voice. I know you by name. And naming is a big deal in the scripture. It it, it denotes this sense of possession, that because I have named you, you belong to me, and you should only listen to my voice. And the real message is this, that you are sons and daughters of the Most High, of the creator of the universe who loves you and who is well pleased with you. And yet that message gets distorted because oftentimes, unlike sheep, we listen to voices that are not of Jesus, our creator, the door into salvation, into abundant life. We start believing messages about ourselves, about our mistakes, about our pains, about not being good enough, not being... Whatever it is, not looking a certain way, not behaving a certain way, we get all these messages. And Jesus is saying, know my voice. Know my voice. And my voice says you are loved and you are precious. And as I invite the worship team back up, how do you hear Jesus' voice? How do you hear what God has called you? Maybe it's through community. Maybe it's through going for a walk. Maybe it's through your friends. Maybe it's through scripture. Maybe it's through prayer. But my hope is that you would listen for God's voice. Because it's through God's voice and who God says who you are, that is the door. Now, whether you've been a Christian for a long time, or or maybe today you've made that decision to follow Jesus for the very first time, if that's you, I would love to connect with you. I would love to take you out for coffee. I would love to get to know you. I would love to talk to you. Because it is through that door that we can experience the invitation a life, not just regular breathing life, but life to its abundance, because that door is big, and it's wide, and it's available for you and for me, for everyone in here. That door provides safety, and we are to partake in that safety. May we be a people that provides safety place where we can wrestle with our faith a place that people can come into our church knowing that they will be loved as much as Christ has loved us I hope that our church is that place that we will be known for our generosity our hospitality our desire for reconciliation that is the church and community safe place that we are called to be that we are able to go out into the world out of that door not just into the door but out into the world knowing that with all the voices and all the noise and all the lies that are being fed within us that one thing remains is that you are loved by the creator of the universe the one that created you and me So maybe for just for a moment, as our worship team continues us in worship, maybe your prayer this morning is, God, for the first time, I want to go through that door. I'm skeptical, I'm suspicious, I don't know what it's about, but I'm taking that leap of faith. Maybe that's your prayer this morning. Maybe some of you have been Christian and believers all your life and you're saying today is a day that I reevaluate my relationship with God and I shut all the doors that have been leaving me so empty and today I go back to the door that I know that brings me life and life abundantly because that is available for all of us. We'll spend some time in prayer Do some surveying and join the worship team as we sing more songs to Christ our Savior.